We are rolling into our fifth part. We've made it past the hump of halfway through this series we've simply called cross-reference that we kicked off on Easter. And there are seven things that the, all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that all of them, those are the, the, the books of the Bible that reference and talk about the life and ministry of Jesus, each of them from a slightly different perspective. And some of them recorded different things that Jesus said on the cross. And when we look at all four of them together, we come up with and we see that there were seven different things that Jesus said on the cross. If you read a red letter version of the Bible or if you're you version app, you have the red letter part of it activated, then as you're reading through, this is the stuff that's written in red while Jesus is actually on the cross where he's going through and fulfilling what scripture had promised would take place in the, in, in the role of the Messiah. And we've been looking at these things. And we've been looking at it with this concept that we want to we look back at what Jesus had said through the power of the resurrection. Because the people that were standing at his feet heard it and witnessed it, but they just saw a man dying. And so they were taking it in through that moment. They just saw a man dying. But we understand that he's alive. We understand that that wasn't the end of the story. We understand that, thank, thank the Lord, that that grave is empty. And that our grave, when, when our mortal bodies are done with, that that's not the end of us. And we have hope and our best life exists on the other side of our last breath because of what God has done. And that the resurrection changes everything. Before we completely delve into the scriptures, I want to kind of set up a context as we're looking at this because most of us have stress in our lives. How many would you would, you would agree with a show of hands and say you have some stress? Whoa, my goodness, it's unanimous. We all have stress. Wow, welcome to the club of called being alive. We have stress. There's stuff. We can begin to rate each other's stress and say, well, my stress is worse than your stress and you don't really get my stress or my struggles or all these different stuff, but we've all got them. We've all got them. From the most affluent and privileged of person to the most underprivileged of individual, we all have them. And because of that, we all have these responses. We have a stress response. Stress comes into our lives and those that know us best can listen to our, our, what, how we say. My wife can sit there and be driving, she's like, why? why are you breathing like that? What is going on? And I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, you, you got this little huff. You got this little, every once in a while, what's bothering you? What's, what are you thinking about? Anybody else that would be sitting there would not have any idea there was anything rolling around in me. But because she has sat there and dealt with me for all of these years, she understands these different things. She can look at my body language and the roll of my shoulders and the way that I handle and, and the length of my response. She asked me a question, especially on text, and I'm just like, real short answers. She's like, what's up? What's going on here? Well, part of some of it is because I may be talking to somebody. It's not always that I'm under stress. But she knows different. She knows these different things. We have stress responses. And then we have these levels of stress. And things escalate. You know, and um, a couple of, about a month ago, uh, Nat Turney went with me and to a stressful situation already. 
my daughter's car broke down five, five, six hours away from here. And we had fits trying to get this car back from College Station. And so I was sitting there. I was trying to figure this out. I got a trailer. I didn't own a truck. So I sit there and got a truck, got everything organized and ready to go. And Nat was going to ride shotgun with me. And we were going to roll out early one day and go pick up my daughter's car to bring it back and get it fixed. And uh, so... Had everything in order. Boom, 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 boom. Everything taken care of. Leave when we wanted to leave. Hit the trail. Talking, enjoying a good conversation. Get on the other side of San Saba. Headed to College Station. And we decide, hey, you know, we're gonna, what do we want to eat? You know, it's one of the perpetual questions of life. What do you want to eat? And so we began to discuss what we want to eat. And based on uh, this outburst that I have then I was pretty sure Nat was convinced I was desperately not wanting a hamburger. And so, because we're talking about this, he's like, well, what about a hamburger? Well, for some reason, is anybody else's brain wired backwards? And that you, like, come around the long way around to things, and somehow he said hamburger, and that triggered that I remembered I had forgot the key to her car at the house we're zooming we're going down the road i don't even think we were obeying the speed limit i mean we're just getting there we just we got a job to do and all of a sudden he says hamburger and i remember that i forgot the key her key is her car's locked i can't start this i can't move it and all of a sudden he says hamburger and i was like ah i just start punching myself in the thigh. Bow, bow. I just start hitting myself. And so he's like, I've got this on, sudden onset Tourette's. And I'm just, there weren't any curse words, not that part of Tourette's. Just self-inflicted injuries. Just boom, hitting my, and he's like, what? Pastor is messed up. And he's like, what? I was like, I forgot the key. And I'm sitting there, and I pull over, and then I have to make the call. The, all, the most expedient way to fix this is to have my wife meet me halfway. I knew she had stuff to do that day. And I was like, babe, I forgot the key. And I was like, just send Keenan. He's like, Keenan's got stuff to do today. I'm going to bring it. I'm like, oh, don't you bring it. <laughs> Pay the neighbor to bring it to me. I don't want to see you. I hate it when I do dumb stuff. And so she's like, oh, no, I'm bringing it. I'm bringing you the key. So sure enough, she loads up, and we, I get the key. And she was as cordial as she could be. She did give me my, my lecture that I knew I was going to get. And... Uh, and so, but my, my, my stress response was just this, uh, this outburst of like anger and punching and yelling. And it was just, it wasn't helpful. It just wasn't. It just wasn't. And so many of you and I, we have these different stress responses. Some people yell. Some people throw punches and hit and kick. Some of you regress and you hide and you get away from everybody. And you're just like, leave me alone, let me process, give, give, me my, give me my my little place, 
get away from me. Some people just flow back into routine. Big tragedy comes in life, and they look like they just kind of slough it off and, and go right back to work, get right back into routine, get right back into everything, and just hide in routine. Today we're going to look at something Jesus said on the cross, and what we're going to see is that there's only one genuine life-giving response to our stress and our struggles. There's only one. Sitting there deciding you're going to eat a quarter of ice cream, it doesn't help. Punching yourself in the leg and bruising yourself, it doesn't help. The key did not miraculously show up. Yelling at somebody, it doesn't help. It doesn't fix anything. There's only one thing that does. And and we're going to see, we're going to look at Luke chapter 24 again. And we're going to see that these ladies had a stress response. and, And I feel like they went back into routine. They just went back into this moment of just trying to process. And we are here and, and these two ladies are going to Jesus' tomb. He had been crucified. They're going to the tomb. And they're looking for a dead body. They're looking for the body of Jesus. And they're just trying to do something. They've got their spices. They've got their oils and their ointments. And they're just going to finish prepping his dead body. Just finish everything that they felt like needed to happen for that. And they're just back into routine. This is what we do when someone dies. This is what we do when someone dies. And they just get back into routine. And we catch up with them in verse 5. And it says, In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. Remember how he told you there was expectation that there would be this place of remembrance for them they should have been thinking about something else other than their routine there should have been this something that had been said that should have been stirring in them they should have been remembering he said remember how he told you while while he was still with you in galilee the son of man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners. This is not a blind side. Women, this is not a blind side, ladies. He said he was going to be delivered over into the hands of sinners. Yep, he was. He said he was going to have to be crucified. He was crucified. He said it. You're not blindsided. He let you know. And then on the third day, be risen again. Here we are, the third day, and it's empty. Why are you so freaked out why are you looking for had you been paying attention to what he already said all of this stress that you're in would not even exist had you been paying attention and holding on to what he had already told you what jesus had already said your stress cycle would not even exist you created it because you forgot you didn't hang on to what he said and you created this stress anxiety moment for yourself And then in verse 8, it says, Then they remembered his words. Then they remembered. You keep on reading the story, all of a sudden it becomes, they shift over to excitement. They go on to tell what they've seen and heard. Man, that it's not the end of the story. All of a sudden, it's not stress and strain and struggle. It is complete exhilaration. Life is completely different. And what we want to walk out of here today with is that Jesus shows us that we should lean on what God's word has already said about your struggle. God has spoken. His, his, the Bible has been referred to as a promise book. That it is 
things that God has declared and, and spoken over his children. And if you've placed your faith in Christ, you're his child, and those promises belong to you. They're yours. They're active. They're yours. And as we, we, we perish because we don't know or we forget and we leak and we don't have it at the front of our mind and we don't grab a hold of it. And let's look at Jesus here in Matthew chapter 27. We're going to catch up in verse 41. It says, in the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross and we'll believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I'm the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the land. And about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? And when some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling on Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge, and he filled it with wine vinegar and put it on a staff, and he offered <clears throat> it to Jesus to drink. Here is Jesus on the cross. And I want you to notice something as we read along here. We're reading English, reading English, reading English. If we were in the original text, we'd be reading Greek, reading Greek, reading Greek. But most of us can't read Greek. So it's translated to English. And Matthew and the only other gospel that records this thing was Mark. And both of them are writing there in Greek. And they write in Greek, write in Greek, write in Greek. And when they come to the place where they're quoting what Jesus said, they quote Jesus all over the place. All of the other quotes, the only one that's held up in Scripture in its original language is this one. So they're riding along, and they come to this point that Jesus says. And Jesus wasn't on the cross speaking Greek. So they had already taken it from what he actually said, and they put it into a language someone could understand. Okay? He wasn't on the cross spitting out Greek sentences. Okay? So they've, the, the, the writers of it are getting the message of Jesus out. To, it, was the, it was the English of its day. It was the, the, Greek was the business language. Everybody who did anything understood Greek. And so they're sitting there and they're writing in that, but they get to this. Both Matthew and Mark get to this point and they leave it and they write it in Hebrew. And then the original Greek says, which is translated, and then they translate that Hebrew into Greek for their Greek readers. It's translated into English for you and I. And so, and we get to that point, and it says, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, here's something interesting. Matthew and, and Mark, they're a couple of good Jewish guys. Guess what? This is a Jewish story. Jesus was Jewish. Went to a, the Jewish people. He was a Jewish Messiah. His disciples were Jewish. The first converts, the first ones to place their faith in Jesus were all Jews. And their audience, Matthew writes to a Jewish audience. Mark does not. He writes to a Gentile audience. But Matthew is there. And they, but both of them leave this in its original language. When they're quoting other things, they're not of Jesus. Said they didn't leave it in the original language. Why would they leave it in the original language? Because they're not just quoting Jesus. They're quoting Jesus quoting the scripture. 
And it was holy to them. You don't mess with it. You don't jack with those scriptures. You don't change the punctuation. You don't mess with anything. They're quoting Jesus, quoting the scriptures, and these good Jewish guys telling the story of Jesus in their own, in their own language, in their own thing, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Leave it alone. Why? Because it was not just these unique words of Jesus crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He is quoting Scripture. He is grabbing the opening line to one of the most understood, the most looked to passages of its day. We understand Psalm 23. And if I was to do this and say, somebody can finish it for me. The Lord is my, I shall not. He makes me. We know it. We know it. All I have to do is say the initial part of it and you can begin to fill it in. Well, they knew Psalm 23 as well, but they knew Psalm 22 big time. Why? Because it was messianic. It was prophetic. And they were looking for Messiah to show up. And it was a, it was a psalm that they knew when they were ready. And all of a sudden, it's being lived out right in front of them. See, Hebrews 4.12, again, this is... This is a New Testament passage that's written to a group of Hebrew believers. And, and they grab a hold of this truth that you and I should as well. It says, the word of God is alive and active. And it's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow. And it judges the thoughts and intents of the heart. For us to come in here and look at what Jesus' thoughts and intents, we have to look at the totality of the scriptures. Jesus, see, it's not just something that's these old, dusty, written down manuscripts. God's word is still alive and it is still active and it is still relevant to our daily lives. That's why we're here and we look at it and talk about it and study it because it makes a difference in our lives. Another thing that everybody also understood was Deuteronomy 31.8, that the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid or do not be discouraged. As Jesus is making this declaration, he is kicking off Psalm 22. He's not whining to God. So many times if you take it in its context and you just read over it, we think he's saying, God, you've turned your back on me. But there's no place elsewhere in Scripture that says anything remotely that God turned his back on his son. It doesn't. It doesn't say it. We have to take that and not let Scripture interpret Scripture. It was written different. These authors penned it differently. There is more weight and more structure here than we even fully get. In fact, he had already addressed this right before, right at his arrest. He already addressed this concept with Peter. Let's look at Matthew 26, 52. Peter gets all, the, Jesus is coming to get arrested, and Peter gets all, all testosterone up and grabs his sword and whacks off a guy's ear. He's like, you taking my Jesus. Which sometimes Jesus' followers still want to get a little aggressive and fight too much. Sometimes we still want to do that. We still want to go to the sword. We feel like our Jesus is attacked and we want to go to, we don't carry swords anymore. We, we carry other weapons and, and we, we want to go to that and and Jesus tells Peter, put your sword back in its place. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my Father 
and he will at once put it at my disposal more than 12 legion of angels? Do you not think he's right here with me in this? you got to pull out your little chunk of metal and defend me? Do you think daddy's not with me in this? He's already addressed these concepts. He's already he's walking through this. In John 10, 30, he says, I and the Father are one. In John 16, 32, he says, A time is coming and in fact has come when you will be scattered. They all flee right after this garden scene. Boop! They're gone. They're scattered. So this is being lived out right here. When Jesus is going through everything he's going to go through, these guys are scattered. Jesus talked about it on the front side. He said, each of you to your own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I'm not alone, for my Father is with me. So what, is he lying on the front side? Is he saying, guess what, you're going to scatter and you're going to do it, and then at the last second, Papa God, he's going he's to bail on me too. Is that what he's saying? Is he, is he lying? Is he, is he not doing it all the way? No. He's speaking it all the way through. He's laid it out. We have to go through some sort of backdoor gymnastics to make it say anything else. 2 Corinthians 5.19 says that, that is that God was in Christ. He was right there. Papa God, the whole deity of God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. You're like, so Brandon, so what was going on here? I'm, I'm, I'm a little lost. He kicks this off. He says this, this passage, I don't know, Psalm 22. You're about to know Psalm 22. Let's look at Psalm 22. It says, knowing what God has said. Get this, please. Knowing what God has said provides a foundation for us to stand on when it feels like all is lost. When it feels like all is lost. See, Jesus, ooh, he, he's a, the perfect intercessor for you and I. Because he was fully human and he dealt with all of these different things. He dealt with the attacks. He dealt with all these different things but walked through it faultlessly. He walked through it perfectly. There may be some moments that you have had in your life that you felt like, man, God, where are you? And the psalmist that wrote Psalm 22 had that moment. Let's go ahead and look at Jesus quoting Psalm 22. Psalm 22, 1. Here it is. My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. It's exactly quoting it. Why are you so far from saving me? So far from the cries of anguish? That sounds pretty rough. That sounds pretty rough. You leave it all alone. You drop the mic. You walk away. But Psalm 22 isn't done. It's a continual thought flow. It goes on. We're, we don't have time to go through the whole thing. But let's, let's go through Verse 7, it says, All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Does that sound kind of like what we just read in Matthew 24? If you forgot, it'll be on the screen. And Matthew 27 says, In the same way the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down and rescue him off the cross. <clears throat> we'll believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. He said, I'm the son of God. And then in the same way, the rebels who were with him also heaped insults on him. 
This is being lived out. Psalm 22, we're going to walk through this whole thing. It's being lived out in front of their eyes, and they're the ones that should have known it. And Jesus primed their pump by saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that should have jolted them, and then all of a sudden begin to go, oh, my God, look at this. Look at verse 15. It says, my mouth is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. Jesus' speech was so slurred when he quoted it, they thought he was saying Elijah. They all knew, my God, my God, that it was quoting Eloi, Eloi, not Elijah. Elijah, but his, his tongue, his speech was so slurred there that they thought he was calling out to Elijah. My tongue is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You make me lie down in the dust. The dogs surround me. Dogs was a Jewish term for anybody who wasn't Jewish. The Gentiles were referenced as dogs. I know that sounds hateful, but that was the way it was. And these Romans, who were not Jewish, are the ones fulfilling the execution of Jesus. It says, a pack of villains encircle me, and they pierce my hands and feet. Crucifixion had not even been invented when Psalm 22 is written. The concept of pierced hands and feet hadn't even been invented yet. It took a long time for somebody to come up with something that, that barbaric. It said, all my bones are on display and people stare and they gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Oh, he's like, no, you're here. You're there. John 19.28 says, Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. His tongue, he's dry. Jesus again fulfills that one that John wrote on purpose, so people would recognize Psalm 22 is being lived out. We go back to what we read in, in, verse, in chapter 27. They knew their part well enough. Look at this. This makes no sense. Unless you're doing the Psalm 22. It says, about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those standing there heard this and said, he's calling for Elijah. And immediately one of them ran over and got a sponge, filled it with wine vinegar, and put it on a staff and offered it to him to drink. That makes no sense. He's saying, God, my God, my God. Oh, we better give him a drink. Unless you put him in Psalm 22, which all of them knew. The ones with the stick and the staff, they knew Psalm 22. They're just playing their role. They're just playing the mockery of it all. And then, of course, Luke 23, 34, they divided his clothing up by casting lots. Now let's look at Psalm 22, verse 24. He says, for he has not despised nor scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. All the families of the nations will bow down. Wait, I skipped. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. The Psalm 22 that he's enacted, does this sound like that this was, he was left alone? That he was left abandoned? Not remotely. He says, you've heard my cry. You've not left me alone. You're, you're, you are with me. Verse 27, it says, all the nations of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down, and posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord, for they will proclaim his righteousness, because to a, <clears throat> declaring to a people yet unborn that he has done it. 
Jesus' even final declaration of it is finished was putting the exclamation on you're watching Psalm 22 get lived out. Future generations will declare he has done it. I'm telling you, it's finished. See, as Jesus was in his darkest moment, when he was in his darkest place, the hardest part of the crucifixion, the hardest part of his assignment, what was on his mind? Not his own thoughts, not his own stuff, but he was grabbing what had already been said about his struggle before it even showed up. So guess what? When your stress hits, when your stress and struggles hit, do we need to get back into our normal stress response of lashing out or hiding or any of these different things? No, Jesus showed us how to deal with it. Even in those times where we feel like, God, where are you? What's going on here? We come back to the scriptures, to the, what's already been written, and we grab a hold of it. All of a sudden, we're dealing with our, with our physical bodies, and we're, we're fighting for, <clears throat> for healing to manifest. We talk about that, that by his stripes, according to the word, by his stripes, we were healed. It's done, and I'm going to grab a hold of that. When the enemy comes in and tries to lie and tell you you're the same person you always were, come in and try to pull up all that mess you remember that you are a new creation in Christ Jesus all you come back every time those struggles we get a hold of what God has said that's why we need to know God's word so that we can live this out and grab a hold of it we hold his word higher than our own experiences or feelings and we let him be the anchor through our struggle Every other stress response brings more destruction and increases the, the, the crazy cycle. Only grabbing a hold of God brings life and something to hold on to in it. Jesus in that moment, he held on to all of that that was prophesied. He was remembering that this is part of my assignment. My pierced hands, my pierced feet, them sitting there gambling for my clothes. All of this stuff is part of what I'm supposed to be doing. And it was for the joy that was set before him. You and I made right by what he's done. That he endured it all. See, we have the same promise. See, God won't leave us or forsake us. He won't. He's not a forsaker. He's not. He's one who wants to be with us. That's the whole point of even going back and looking to original creation. In original creation, we, he created a garden, placed us in it, and sat there and interacted face-to-face with us as humanity. He doesn't want to forsake us. He wants to be with us. That's what is all this is about. See, in Christ, we are fully his, and he is fully ours, and he will always be here for us. Bottom line, God will never forsake you. I don't care what you're dealing with or what your struggle is this morning, how frustrated or far apart you feel from God. I'm telling you, he is closer than you can even imagine. He is so for you. I love it that the scriptures describe his voice, not in the whirlwind or any of this stuff, but in a whisper. Why does somebody whisper? Because they're right there. Because they're close. Because they're right there. He's right there for you always. Folks, the resurrection, it, it changes everything. He is, he is for, so for us, more for you than you can wrap your mind around. I want to create a, a moment here. That maybe you're on the outside looking in. Maybe you always thought that this whole Jesus 
Christian thing was frustrating because you'd get close to God and, and then you'd get away from God. And then you get close to God and then you get away from God. And, and all of a sudden now you recognize that He is always there for you. Always. That He is, a, he is an ever-present help in time of need. He doesn't forsake us or, or reject us. And we can hang on to His Word, His promises us to us. He's promised that if anyone would call on the name of the Lord, they'll be saved. So today, if you're on the outside looking in and you say, Brandon, I always thought it was about trying to do better and try harder. And I recognize that it's about believing that Jesus did what he said he did. That that death, that cross was done for me. That that burial was done for me and the resurrection was done for me. And I can be made right with God. I am made right with God based on what Jesus did. Not what I've done or planned to do, but only what Jesus did. And if today, if you want to place your faith in that and you want to make that your own, I just want you to raise your hand. Just own it. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Yes. The Bible says you stepped over from death to life. Heaven is your home right now. You are heaven ready right now. You haven't done anything different other than believe it other than make it your own. And guess what? The Holy Spirit is going to come in and begin to shift things on the inside, begin to help you to live out this new life that's yours. So I want to pray with you. Believers, I ask you to lift your voices with them. And I want to pray with you as we go through this. Say, Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that you love me. And you reached out to me. That in Christ you were taking care of all my sin. It's dealt with. I'm 100% right with you. Because of what Jesus did. I invite the work of your Holy Spirit. Change me from the inside. And I thank you for that. In Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Yes. If you need extra prayer today or if you prayed that prayer, we've got some boxes and some resources. They've got a Bible, some worship music, and a little book that describes what, how to get rolling in this new life in Christ. We have the Hernandez's over here and the Lahones over here and some people ready for you in T9 if you're in T9. I want you to stand up as we go out of here. And I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to begin to look at the Scriptures and let God speak directly to your life. Next time you hit a struggle, next time you hit a stress, say, what does God's Word have to say about this? Maybe you hit your leg. Maybe you get frustrated. Maybe you hide for a minute. But as soon as you catch yourself in your stress cycle, choose to do something different and say, God, show me a better way. Show me what your Word has to say. I want to pray over you as we go. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness, your mercy, your life. And we understand that it's in you that we live and move and have our being. And Lord, we choose to honor you today. We choose to thank you for Jesus and the work that he's done. Lord, we recognize that you're a God who's always with us and will never forsake us, Lord. And and your word has relevance and life in our lives. And we choose to follow you today. Lord, keep us conscious of your presence and conscious of your promises. In Jesus' name, amen.